1: Welcome to Primal Screen, a Triple R Film Criticism Show and Podcast. I am your socially distant host, Paul Anthony Nelson, and joining me from their homes for their Primal Screen debuts are one of the diabolical minds behind the Melbourne Horror Film Society, Melissa Beg.
0: Hello, thank you for having me.
1: It's a pleasure
0: <laughs> and.
1: Critic, festival programmer and frequent scribe for the Australian Centre for the Moving Images Acme Recommends column, it's Tiana Stefanik.
2: Hello, thanks for having me, Paul.
1: Pleasure as well. With Melbourne Melbourne cinemas closed, June 2, uh, Lockdown 5, A Good Day to Die Hard, we'll turn our attention to Netflix and the cursed residents of Shadyside in the ambitious young adult horror trilogy Fear Street, based upon the novels by R.L. Stein. We'll start with part one, 1994, as a masked killer preys upon a group of unsuspecting teens. Then we'll go back to part two in 1978, as Camp Nightwing is beset by a hooded, axe-wielding slasher. And we'll conclude with part three, set in 1666, as we discover the origin of a local legend who may or may not be responsible for the centuries of misfortune that have plagued the town of Shadyside. Side. Also, as you listen to us chatting about these films, please feel free to hit us up on our social media channels and leave a comment. Just search for Primal Screen on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Now it's time for the Primal Screen News Bulletin for the week. As this last week has proved, in our COVID-19 afflicted world, all events are but a week-to-week proposition. But let's hope the ball bounces in our direction and we have 11 days of clear sailing in mid-August to enjoy the 69th edition of the Melbourne International Film Festival, which launched its program last week. All going well, 198 feature films and 84 shorts will unleash around our fair city between August 5th and August 15th, opening with Leah Purcell's revisionist Western, The Drover's Wife, The Legend of Molly Johnson. The year's fe- this year's festival contains over 150 Australian premieres, including dozens of films uh, direct from the Cannes Film Festival. MIFF's centrepiece event this year on August 14 is the already sold-out screening of Questlove's documentary Summer of Soul, or When the Revolution Cannot Be Televised, about the Harlem Cultural Festival of 1969, known as the Black Woodstock for its sheer star power and 300,000-strong crowd, which was filmed but never televised or seen until now. There's also good news for MIF uh, this year, uh, this MIF, for folks who might not be so keen on coming into Melbourne for the festival in this post pandemic age, with selected films being screened in suburban and regional centres during the festival for the first time in MIF's history. Uh, As well as the usual CBD venues the Astor Theatre, the Coburg Drive In, the Lido, the Sun Theatre in Yarraville, Palace Pentridge, Paramount Cinemas in Echuca, Peninsula Cinemas in Sorrento, The Pivotonian in Geelong, The Star Cinema in Bendigo, The Sun Cinema in Bansdale, another Sun Cinema in Bright, The Theatre Royale in Castlemaine, and Wallace Cinemas in Mildura will all be screening a selection of MIF films throughout the festival. Simply head to mifff.com.au for screening and ticket details. But once the cinema in-cinema portion of the festival ends on August 15, fear not, the festival continues online for a week with 60 of those 198 features, a program of 10 Australian short films and nine immersive XR experiences are all available from home on the MIF Play platform from August 15 to August 22nd, ending with the online-only closing night film, the Mark Duplass-starring-screen-life rom-com Language Lessons, directed by and co-starring Natalie Morales. And finally, the long-delayed 74th edition of the Cannes Film Festival drew to a close over the weekend, with French writer-director Julia Ducourneau taking out the grand prize, the Palme d'Or, for her new horror-adjacent drama, Titan, becoming only the second woman to ever win the award, the first being Jane Campion way back in 1993. Some of you may remember Ducourneau's audacious film debut, Raw, from 2016, which is fair to, fair to say we're fans of here, uh, and we're eagerly awaiting a look at Tatan. Meanwhile, another mad French visionary, Léos Carax, won Best Director for his eagerly anticipated Sparks musical, it. Iranian director Asghar Fahadi and Finnish director Juho uh, Kuosmanen shared the Grand Prix, the runner-up to the Palme d'Or, with A Hero and Compartment Number 6, Norwegian actress Renate Reinsiv won Best Actress for The Worst Person in the World and American actor Caleb Landry-Jones won Best Actor for playing a certain Australian mass murderer in Justin Kurzel's controversial *Nitram*. Just a reminder that most of these films will be screening at MIFF, but sadly, not to turn. So, are we ready, Tiana and Mel, to take a trip to Fear Street? Please join us on the couch for our first film of the week.
2: Another Shadyside tragedy fits the narrative, right? Sarah, fear's back. Christ, not you too.
1: There's no angry dead witch. The only thing that made him go crazy is this town. The dude was wearing a Halloween skull mask. How is that not fun? Fear Street Part 1, 1994, is the second film from director Lee Janiak and the first in the Fear Street trilogy. In 1994, a group of teenagers discovers that the terrifying events which have haunted their town for generations are all connected and that they may be the next targets. Tiana, as someone who has professed not to be a fan of horror in general but who grew up on R.L. Stein's books, how did this homage-happy horror land for you?
2: I have to say uh, it took watching the whole trilogy to really love it as a, you know, sometimes horror watcher Um and it really on reflection, like after having watched all three, I appreciated each film on its own merits and that first one especially, I think it was most connected to my memory of the of the goosebumps books because it had that neon soaked aesthetic and it had that you know 90s nostalgia that really I could connect to more so than the the murder yeah, <laughs> yeah so I definitely um yeah what what did you think, Mel?
0: Well, I'm a horror lifer so <laughs> <laughs> um since as long as I can remember I've loved horror so I was right into Goosebumps right into R.L. Stein. I remember picking up the books in either the bookshop or the library and I would just end up planting on the ground and just flicking through and just reading you know everything going on and um and so yeah I was I was a real fan so and being at the right age sort of in my you know growing up years in the 80s and 90s that was sort of right in my wheelhouse yeah. um so but this is sort of i guess like i should be like the prime sort of audience for this surprisingly i don't know whether it's an unpopular opinion but the first one wasn't my favorite and and, and i really connect with what you just said then tiana that it did take yeah moving on to the others for me to i actually came back and watched the first one again today and i had such a greater appreciation for it but um but yeah the first time around i don't know maybe i was in a bit of a grumpy night or something but um but yeah i didn't love it as much as the others but yeah I cannot deny that fun uh, lots of plot, lots of pacing, which I loved. I loved the music. I know a lot of oh. people have said there's too many, too many pin drops, but oh, I couldn't get enough of it. It was like the soundtrack to my to my youth. So yeah. they they really uh, were heavy handed on the needle drops in the first. They one. were, they were, but I, I loved was every second high of it. High. <laughs>
1: Some of that sweet Netflix cash, or twentieth century Fox cash, because this, because the, these films were originally developed at Fox until um, until the uh, Disney buyout, and then they uh, were sold to Netflix. And watching this in seventy eight, which is replete with needle drops as well, I was thinking mm. this, this soundtrack must have cost a king's ransom.
0: No, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely.
1: Now, did you? It's interesting that you, you you've sort of um, uh, come at it through, like, you've watched the first film and 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 didn't quite kind of get into it as much and then got to the last one and appreciated it retrospectively. Had you read these particular books? Well, Both of
0: I've read the Fear Street books, hmm. but I don't think these were specifically a, you know, retelling of any of them. I think it was more a tonal um, you know, homage to those books and sort of like the aesthetics and the feel of them. I don't, and, and they were taking elements of of different books, but I don't think they were actually specifically any of them exact, but Tiana probably yeah. has a better recollection of them than me. Well, I, I actually
2: never read the Fear Street books. Oh. I read,
0: I read, like, all the goosebumps I could get my hands on. But
2: I was thinking about this, like thinking about the films as an adaptation. As you say, it is more of a tonal homage. Mm. Because R.L. Stein's books are really serialized. You know, they each stand on their own. And obviously there's this the mythology of of um Sunnydale and Shady Side and the fear, you know, the witch and all the rest of it. But it does seem like the books themselves must have been more of a like, you know, self-contained stories. Um, so I don't so I did find that like I could appreciate it just as much as You know, I don't think you need that connection to having read the original books, but I Mm. think having, like, having that appreciation of R.L. Stein and how much of a part of our childhood he was, our first, I would say, like, a lot of our first introduction to horror in kind of a fun, you know, fun, gruesome way, um, I think, yeah, I really appreciated that, like, even though I had never read a Fear Street novel. So yeah. yeah,
0: definitely. I know that there were like there was there's some of the characters appeared in some of the books. And so you may have got an idea of um how it might play out um, if you had have read them. But um but yeah, but there was nothing specifically taken from the books, I think, for these.
1: Okay, so it wasn't like a thing where I was like you you, you knew specifically where this was going.
0: No, no, definitely yeah, not. Too. Yeah, there was a lot changed, Yeah,
1: Yeah, As look, as someone who was attacked from all angles on this show a couple of weeks ago for enjoying a silly, fun, shamelessly de- derivative popcorn horror film <laughs> in <laughs> Were- Werewolves Within, um, I think I'm in safer surrounds here, although... <laughs> not as safe as i anticipated i had a ball with this first chapter um i think that janiac pulls the ripcord from the first minute i feel like she knows exactly what the i think uh, like she knows exactly what she's making like exactly what it is makes no apologies for it whatsoever we i mean we open with the obligatory scream hat tip um mm-hmm. with the first of several stranger things cast members to show up in yes. the trilogy yes. um and then uh and and but I think that the film is filled with characters who inhabit these well-worn tropes, but they show a little more layers. I think the cast are all really likable in this. Mm. It's not usual that you get that with this sort of film. Like I I liked all of the, not only the performances, but the the characters I I really liked. Um, Even the stoner guy was enjoyable. Um, (laughs) Is usually the person you want to push off a cliff. (laughs) And I think I agree, Mel. I like, the, I think the, you know, at times the needle drops are distracting, but I think the the tunes were more agreeable, mm. seemed more era appropriate. I don't know. Um, I think, I think when we get to 78, I think 78's and I love 70s music as well, but I found it a lot more laid on thick and distracting mm, than, right. than I did with 94. Mm. And all of, even though all these films are a little bit too long, I, I think this one moves forward at a really rapid pace. Like it just guns and guns and guns. Um, and it's lit with lots of colour, you know, the 90s day glow or the very 2020s feeling digital neon. Yeah. But,
0: and,
1: and you know, like I think until it gets a little weirder with, you know, undead killers and shady side's history of quiet men and women who quietly flip out and go on murder sprees and the legend, it's – and, yeah, I, I, I think we'll get to this as we go forward. But I liked – the theme already started to come through here, you know, um, oh, sure. about this sort of town that's viewed as a bad town mm. from the outside and it's always, you know, drug addicts and the mentally ill and all this sort of stuff. who fl- And, you know, we find out that, no, that's not this town's narrative. Mm. Um, I like that as a theme and I feel like it didn't poke me in the eye as much um, in the first film, um, I think
0: that was where I, I didn't fully connect with the characters because I think the pace was just so fast, pretty and relentless. With like the other, the yeah, with the others, you got to you got to sit with the characters for a bit longer, and obviously you're finding out more about the story. So you you sort of and now going back and watching it today, knowing how it all plays out, I yeah had had a much bigger connection with the characters. But I thought the main character, like Dina, I wasn't a big fan of her in the first one, but by the time you get to the third yeah massive fan <laughs> um,
2: so saying that the characters are more layers than you'd usually expect in this type of film i i was genuinely sad at the end of the first film <laughs> when a few characters met their end i was like so i was really happy to see them kind of come back around in different yes. ways the other two um, yeah
1: yeah definitely yeah. i completely agree um and yeah I, and you know i think that there's uh as we get there i think the, the, it's got this neat Horror film style way of looking at the way the the rich and media manipulate people lower on the socio and economic totem pole. Who's writing history? People's fight to regain control of their own narratives. It taps very directly into this present moment. And interestingly, you both were talking about, particularly you Mel, about the fact that this is maybe a looser adaptation than what we mm. expected. Maybe it has been massaged more to fit into mm. the current zeitgeist.
0: Definitely, uh, and especially having like a queer. Uh, couple as the like that wasn't in the fear street books back gotcha. then so there's been yeah so there's been a lot of liberties taken to make it more contemporary as well mm. so even though we're you know really it's really a throwback but it's also putting it for a, a modern audience as well which is you know which is awesome
1: I yeah that. no i i liked it a lot um can we really trust someone in this kind of story whose surname is Good? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. But I've got to tell you too, I did, I, I think this one, I got to say, though, of the three, I feel like this one has the most assured tone of all three. I feel like this one walks and talks like a 90s slasher film in most ways, which kind of delighted me. I think this one's got, yeah, it got the most robust tone. And I don't know about you two, but I did not expect a Netflix sleepover horror movie for teens to have one of the most genuinely gruesome and borderline upsetting kills I've ever seen in a slasher
0: brutal it is brutal like it holds Which no way? punches at Which all are it's... I about?
1: <laughs> um the slicer oh it was so, yeah
2: genuinely I... upsetting yeah i think i
1: that...
0: coming back from that
1: <laughs> My stomach seizes every time i think of it it's horrifying it's like this is top oh yeah. yeah it's it's a bit of an old timer and that's the thing <laughs> like this does not you know um and you know, yeah, yeah, the, the, these films they they go there. They're hard. What the mm. Americans call hard R's in terms of
0: violence.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and and you know, and yeah, I was impressed by that.
2: Yeah, um,
0: <laughs> quite hard to take, but. That's horror. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> and that's why I think, you know, like horror fans, even though it's fun and it's and it's very slick and it's um, you know, and with all the music and everything, but I think with it is brutal. And it's almost I mean, we will get to it, but the other the other films even go to places that even horror films of the seventies and eighties didn't really go, i.e. children. Um, <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that was kind of an off limits thing. But this it goes there, and it's Netflix. So yeah,
1: <laughs> I know. Yeah, kudos for like making <laughs> this sort of gateway trilogy, but also just going, yeah, this yeah. is this is what delights horror has. You're yeah. uh, you're on board or you're not. I, I, <laughs> I respect that. So, Fear Street Part 1, 1994, is now streaming on Netflix. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Triple R on FM, FM Digital, Digital online Digital. via the app. You're back with Primal Screen on Triple R with Melissa Begg, <coughs> excuse me, uh, Tiana Stefanik, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson, which brings us to our second film of the evening. Hello?
0: It's not over. You are our last chance. How do we end this? We have to go back to 1978. The first day of camp.
1: Fear Street Part 2, 1978, is the third film from director Lee Janiak and the second in the Fear Street trilogy. In 1978, two rival groups at Camp Nightwing must band together to solve a terrifying mystery when horrors from their town's history come alive. Mel, as a fan of 70 Slashers from way back, mm-hmm. <laughs> did this give you any summer camp blood feels?
0: Oh, I think that they nailed the aesthetics of the summer camp horror from the 70s and 80s. So it was just, yeah, it was a real throwback. And I knew that I was going to love this one. Well, I felt like I was, and I did. I really, really loved it. Even from the opening, you know, you've got the bullies, and, you know, it's really, yeah. And it just- is. Friday the Thirteenth, um, sleepaway camp. It just had, yeah, just all all of the greatest hits in there. And I loved. There was at one point the um, the killer ended up with a hessian bag over his head, and that's what Jason had for his first two installments of Friday the Thirteenth. So you know, it's just those things that not yeah that you're just those real nods to horror fans, and I, yeah, I loved it.
1: Baghead, Jason, forever.
0: So good. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm all about Baghead, Jason. Yeah, totally. Uh, Tiana is someone who may have perhaps seen less slasher films from the '70s and '80s. How did how did this hit you? I've
2: definitely seen less of those, but I've seen a lot of um, American camp set films. So I very much, you know, they very much nailed that that summer vibe. Um, you know, thinking about films like Adams Family and Parent Trap. I mean, there are so many, and it really just it always is so evocative of what that must be like. And they had a great Arden Craft uh, selection. I was really yeah. impressed. <laughs> um, I think this is one of those more expensive camps, um, but I know I enjoyed this film. I, I enjoyed it the least out of the three. Um, I think probably because I didn't have that, like you know, that the slasher kind of references to to really appreciate. But um, and also because I, you know, you become quite close to a certain set of characters, mm. and then you're thrown back twenty years. And you just, you know, suddenly have to be on board with with these new ones. And I guess um, until, as I said before, like until it was all tied together um, with the third, yeah, I didn't fully appreciate it. But, um, oh, look, it was a lot of fun and really um I loved the uh, Sadie Sink's performance. She's she's got a lot of sass that young. Actress. I really, you Amazing. know, enjoyed watching her. Yeah, um and all the other uh, cast members in that one. As you said, Paul, that, you know, even like the Stoner, <laughs> the Stoner <laughs> character <laughs> um had his charm. So, um
1: yeah, what did you think, Paul? Yeah, these films are very like likable Stoner characters. It's very strange. <laughs> I did enjoy this. There's there's a purity to 70s and 80s slashes that a lot of updates miss. They always try to get too fancy with the formula. Like There was that dreadful season of American Horror Story that I got two episodes through mm-hmm. that I wanted to that just like, oh, let's make them. And it was just like, no, 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 There's kids and there's a killer. Don't yeah. get fancy with it because otherwise yeah. it's just tedious. Um, and I think this one definitely hits the bull die, bullseye more times than not. Um, the hooded killer is great he has a great look this these three films are like and it, to me i haven't read many of his books from what i can tell about rl stein the 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 killers all have their own little character in terms of their costuming and yeah. what their move mm. and what they do and that feels very stein-esque from the outside looking in mm. which I re- i really dug i like that you know you've got the the kid with the baby face and the baseball Mm -hmm. bat. You've got the guy with the plague mask and you've got the hooded axe-wielding murder, and you've got the girl with the razor. And, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I really dug them. Um, Again, like its predecessor, this film is not afraid of gore. There's so many (laughs) axe hits to the face in this. There's a particularly good set piece um, set down in the caves and an open outhouse, uh, Mm -hmm. which is a really great sequence. Yeah. and you know, lots of severed limbs. Um, but while the actors are good and um I, I think you're right, Sadie Sink has this kind of sardonically nervy charisma mm-hmm.
2: that, that
1: I really like. I like I love her as Max in, in, in Stranger Things and she's and she's really good here as well. Um also hello uh, Gillian Jacobs. Um <laughs> yeah. but uh, yeah, I, I I thought that but I thought the character work in the first film was a little bit better. Um I just had a and I, I feel like the um, I like the characters in the first film more as well. And like you, Tiana, I missed them when they weren't... It was like, oh, now it's this bunch and they're not quite as good. Um, but, you know, but I think it served... It, it still had that slight subversion of those tropes. Um, you know, like we're saying it's the same tropes, but just with a little bit more uh, edge and, and, and a little bit more... Um, um, dimension um yeah and i just thought the, the the first film like there's always a digital feeling with with these films as well there it's like when you're homaging seven, like 70s and 80s slashes are so filmic they're so analog that yeah. whenever digital films try to it always it, there, there is always that kind of weird shame that pulls me a little bit it's a little bit i felt like i said before i felt like the needle drops were a little more intrusive but but i did um I did enjoy, yeah, the kills are fantastic. It moves at an agreeable pace. And by the end, I did I did enjoy the characters. Well, not quite as much as 94, but I did end up liking this bunch by the end. Yeah. I've
0: seen some complaints that this one drags a bit. Like you don't get to the kills sort of for a little while and then there's a whole sequence underground that... Um, yeah, that's more sort of character looking at character rather than and like relationships rather than um, rather than just like your classic 70s, 80s you know this girl well these people are having sex so bang they they're dead and and how can we do it in the craziest way possible So you've got that element but then I think you sort of have to look at it, um it doesn't this one does a lot of heavy lifting I think because it sort of has to carry on the story from the first film but then also set up a lot for the third film as well mm, yeah. and then and I felt like those underground segments were very goonies esque sort of like <laughs> a bit more capers and and um stuff like that so Until the access
1: of, to the face
0: yeah yeah well yeah <laughs> but I kind of I kind of liked both Elements so yeah, and I, I really liked the cat. Like I loved Ziggy, and um, and yeah, and then, yeah, I I really I really enjoyed this one.
1: Um, was this your
0: favorite of the three?
1: Nope, still oh, to come. Okay, still <laughs>
2: Yeah, gotcha. um, so I just want to say, just thinking about like the underground cabin, and I don't want to spoil it, but there's a mm. bit of a goopy element mm. um, underground. And that is, I feel like maybe a bit of a nod to, I think it was called Horror at Camp Jelly Jam. Um, oh. One of the most um, one of the creepiest Goosebumps novels. Like I really kind of hated it as a kid. I loved <laughs> it. I hated it. And I feel like, yeah, there's definitely that um element of that, you know, camp. Mm. Um yeah that I've just <laughs> just kind of made that
0: connection so that um know. that throbbing goopy thing um really reminded me there's an episode of Buffy that has oh. this has this uh really gross gr- guy underground that it's very uh, moist and um sorry if people don't like that word but um <laughs> and uh very throb and yeah it reminded me of that so I'd love to know if Lee Janiak <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> took a bit from that episode because it really <laughs> reminded me of that <laughs>
1: <laughs> there, yeah, there is kind of a, a bit of a kind of a buffy sort of feel about these mm, sort of these definitely. films. Definitely. I've actually heard some reviewers uh, slight tangent here, but I've I heard some reviewers, uh, particularly older reviewers, uh, raised on kind of R-rated video store discoveries saying that this series is very sexless. And I take a little bit of an exception with that. Like I think that it does introduce stuff in there, but one. If you're looking for sexy time, R.L. Stein is not your destination. No, <laughs> and, yeah. and the other thing is too, like I don't know if these older reviewers have said that read the same news items that I have, like about Zoomers feeling this increasing exhaustion when it comes to sex, its place in our culture and expectations around it, um, that, you know, more and more young people are kind of moving away from, you know, casual sex and hookup culture than mm. before due to its proliferation on the internet and hookup app horror stories. Perhaps this is a film with its finger more on the pulse of its generation than some may think.
0: Yeah. Mm, definitely. And Arl Stein was very, you know, on top of the clothes. Very, you know, like, <laughs> when, it's naughty, but it's not that. It's not, you know, we're not going the whole hog. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. I think there was, you know, a healthy amount of um, of sex in these in these films and the fact that most sex scenes, or, you know, the kind of few that they were, were between two girls, two mm. teenagers, mm. I think that's great. I yeah. Mean,
1: Yep. you know. I mean, it, there's literally, yeah, there's a girl going down and another girl. I mean, like, yeah. I don't, I can't remember a slasher film mm-hmm. from the 70s. No, no. In.
0: and I think, so, I think being a female director as well, it's sort of, it doesn't feel like it's for the male gaze either. Exactly. It's just, yeah, yeah. it's, it's just, it just way. is, it just yeah. is what it is. It's not, it's not this big tantalising moment or anything like that. It's just, yeah. it's just in there. And yeah, it's, I love that about it.
2: Things, you know, reconnecting. Oh, not to yeah. spoil it, not to spoil it, but it happens pretty early on. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I I think, yeah, I'm glad you get, yeah. Cause I think it's an unfair knock. I like, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, I think it's got the right amount like it it did not bother me in, in, yeah. in one, uh one way or the other but boy do they go there with the core. <laughs> it's still there's uh, there's some there's some crazy uh crazy uh kills and beheadings and stuff in here
0: and kids kids murdering children <laughs> oh,
1: yeah.
0: Luckily, it's, it's off screen but mostly off screen yeah yeah oh but' in well, the, long. the third one there's quite a Oh, that's. I yes. I don't know
2: how much detail we're going to, but that was, mm. love yeah, it. Yeah. But oh,
1: awful. Is, is this involving a wrist? Is this what we're talking about?
2: Oh, but no, the church, In the church. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah.
1: That's oh, uh, that's very, very disturbing. Really cool. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, very cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I, I think, I think, yeah, I, I think it's. There's, uh, I don't think this one is quite as tonally tight as as the as the previous film is, but I still had a lot of fun with it. So,
0: Paul, uh, considering that you said that you felt that the pin drops were a bit took you out of this one, how did you feel about the Bowie love with the man who sold the world with the Nirvana uh, cover, the Bowie original that
1: I actually enjoyed. Oh, me too. Good, good. (laughs) Um, Triple R listeners will be hearing some of that. uh, Oh, fabulous. I thought um, that
0: was beautiful.
1: Yeah. No, I did really like that.
0: Yeah. Cool. <laughs> um,
1: yeah. No, it's just a lot of stuff in the flashback stuff in particular. Um, yeah. But yeah. No, that that particularly uh, particular music music choice was was terrific. And yeah. and again, this sort of you know this gradual unfolding of of the plot and what you know, um, um uh, Susan. Fe- I've suddenly blanked on her first name. Um, Sadie Fear. Susan Fear. The um, the the witch. The
2: witch. What was his first? I blanked on her
1: first name. Um, uh, yeah, but um, I've uh, yeah, but the 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 sort of the gradual unfolding of this, and you know, maybe she's not who we think she is, and yeah. Um, no, I enjoyed this. I I did I did have fun with this one. Um, it's uh, yeah. Uh, wh- one
2: thing that I the, the um. The kind of twist around the oh no, I don't want to talk about this sisters, <laughs> sisters and kind of you know yes, who. Mm. Um, I don't know. I thought that was a bit unnecessary to be honest. I mean, mm. I, I yeah. thought it was pretty clear who was who.
1: Yeah, I, I think I think yeah, one actor definitely looks like they could be. More so than the other one, mm. I think. I think by looking at them, it's like, well, this one's got the, but yeah, it's it it's just- it's an interesting. Yeah, it seemed like kind of like a random. <laughs>
0: yeah. Up. I compl- I completely fell for it, and I was with the reveal. I was like, I was like the characters from the '90s when yes. they they were being told the story. I was pretty much in their little circle. I was with them, and I was like, "Oh my god!"
1: <laughs> I'm gonna say too. I back. I we didn't mention this for '94, but I loved all the little touches like message boards Yay. and uh, you know, and and uh, mixtapes mixtapes walkmans (laughs) yes i loved all that sort of stuff it it made me it it just made me think man i wish i had a more i wish i I I had a more um active childhood in in because because i feel like yeah it brought back all of the of the 90s feels but um yeah i'm not sure how period accurate 1978 is Mm. as opposed to 94 i feel like i feel like Janieck grew up in the '90s. She seems to have a lot more mm. affinity for that time period. There's so much small detail in there that feels like, yeah, yeah you, are yeah, you're, you're like, from your own childhood here.
0: I feel like with the '90s as well, it didn't feel like nostalgia for nostalgia's sake. Like, oh, here's a Walkman. Oh, here's a mm, no. you know, here's a mixtape. Wink, wink, and that it was. I felt like it was all, and probably because she is, she did grow up in the '90s. Mm. It was, it was actually just more of just making tonally you know it wasn't just like these little drop moments it was it was to create the whole feel and especially of 90s horrors and, and what made them so special mm. so yeah. yeah rather than just like oh look at this oh look at this and yeah. the
1: complications that night you know that oh. the world without cell phones yeah. and you know the internet on the grand scale would create as well yeah. yeah yeah it just felt a lot more endemic to the time than whereas this one felt more like a Stuff from the 70s that we've seen in 70s movies. Mm, um
0: yeah.
1: but yeah, but no, I, look, it's still it's still perfectly good, gory fun. So Fear Street Part 2, 1978, is now streaming on Netflix. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Independently yours, triple R. 102.7. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Tiana Stefanik, Melissa Begg and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson which brings us to our final film of the evening and the conclusion of the Fear Street saga
2: And the curse For Shadyside
1: What the hell? You see it now Sarah! The devil has come to feast on our misdeeds. And his darkness grows within each of us. Fear Street Part 3, 1666, is the fourth film from director Lee Janiak and the third and final in the Fear Street trilogy. In 1666, a colonial town is gripped by a hysterical witch hunt that has deadly consequences for centuries to come. And it's up to our heroic teenagers in 1994 to finally put an end to their town's curse before it's too late. But is a uh, famed local legend witch Sarah Fear, as responsible as everyone thinks she is. Tiana, we've come a long way. Over an hour tonight, over three weeks on Netflix, and several hundred years in the history of Shadyside and Sunnyvale, does the third film stick the landing or crash headlong into a hellmouth?
2: I think it absolutely sticks the landing, Paul. Um, the Crucible of it all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I absolutely, look, I'm a sucker for any American film that tries to kind of grapple with, uh, you know, any film set in that era where everyone has that stock standard accent where they just make... Vaguely Irish. Vaguely. And all the elements are there, you know, the, um, the young women in the witchcraft, the oh gosh, the misunderstanding parents and the, you know, the moonlit rituals. I'm a sucker for all of it. So I really enjoyed the way that they went back and I loved the casting, the way that they, you know, weaved in um, actors who'd been present in the past two films. I just thought that was um, really fun um, and quite satisfying. And the way that it, um, again, I mean, this is a bit of a spoiler, but uh, not uh, taking up the whole runtime being set mm-hmm. in the past and actually taking us back to the start of '94 was just such an um excellent circular, you know, way to tell the story and um, you know, really grapple with the kind of generational trauma of it
0: all for the whole town. So, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> I loved it, Melby. Well, I think I showed my cards in the last one, but this was my favourite out of the three. I And I didn't know how I was going to feel about it because, you know, the first two had, had um, used, you know, so many elements that I knew really well, the music and all that. So it's like, oh, what are they going to do for 1666? But um, And folk horror is is my least, the, the horror genre that I know the least. So I was like, oh, you know, what's going to happen here? But I think... um. I cried so much in this one. I'm so lame. I am just, I get really, and people are like, was it sad? And I'm like, well, it was very emotional. I get, I get sucked in when something's really good. And I cried so much. And, um, yes, yeah, so I just, I just loved it. And I think, you know, there was a lot of, um, people wondering whether they would, sort of do instrumental versions of contemporary songs and whatnot. And they didn't do any of that. And I think that was almost a bit of a flex. It's like, yes, we had so much of that in the in the others that we don't even need to do that. And, and we still nail it, even with, you know, not the greatest accents, but didn't even <laughs> care. So fun. So I was I was shocked. I was, I was just, I was really along for the ride by this one. And yeah, and I really loved it. What about you, Paul?
1: Maybe they spent all their soundtrack money on the first two. <laughs> yeah, <months>. that's true. <laughs> um, oh, no, I'm so sorry. This was the weakest for me. <laughs> I,
2: you uh, don't have
1: to apologise. <laughs> the 1666 section just didn't work for me at all. Wow. I just found it felt really false. Um, even as an homage to films like Blood on Satan's Claw or The Devil Rides Out and a General, especially when stacked up against something like 2015's The Witch. Mm. Um I I enjoyed seeing almost every cast member turn up again even the dog. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was really fun. Um even the dog returned. <laughs> but it it felt just a little bit like cosplay to me. And mm. I will say with the increasing paranoia and hate in the village and the girl's growing attraction and the fear of the town that will discover them that situation is inherently unsettling and even weirdly relatable in today's, you know, mm. age. Um, it and so I think there was that that inherent drama was definitely baked in, and and Mm -hmm. and I did feel that, but that that mob mentality as well, yeah, 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 yeah. and not being able to prove,
0: you know, and just knowing,
1: just it's almost like just the sick inevitability of Mm -hmm. just knowing, oh, this is the way that it's gonna go. Like Mm. in the end, they're gonna point at us, yeah. Um, and but it, but to me, I just felt it. It just seemed incredibly predictable in execution and more than either of the previous films, I felt like I'd seen this film exact film before and better mm. Um, mm. as much as it did feed into the trilogy's overarching theme. And I think it yeah. did that quite neatly. Um, if a little bit more on the nose than the other two. Um, so in light of all that, the mid film switch back to 1994 mm. was so welcome for me yeah. um, the way. And then I, I felt like the way the teens and Gillian Jacobs scheme and um uh, i i'm I'm missing the guy's name um the guy that plays martin um the oh, guy who's
0: so good <laughs> favorite absolute favorite <laughs> um Daryl
1: Britt Gibson yeah when they were kind of in the mall fighting off the killers and coming up with all these I, I found that really entertaining and quite inventive yeah. Especially seeing them all, um, seeing the, the killers all go up against one another. Oh, mm, it mm, was marvelous. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I had a ball with that. Um, <laughs> even if, yeah, I, even if by the end the thematic concerns of the trilogy are summed up in one of the most thuddingly obvious examples of subtext as yeah. text I've seen in a long <laughs> time <laughs> involving a phrase. Um, but that last act really did save this chapter for me. Um, and I did like, but I've got to say, like you both, I got to the end of it and I had a really satisfying experience. Mm. Like over the journey, because I, I believe you two watched it week by week. Yeah. Uh, whereas I, I smashed them all as a trilogy um, on on Saturday night, and I had a really good time. Like it was, it was this thing. It's like, as I'm, I'm all for this growing subgenres, um, and. It's coming back to R.L. Stein, I guess. What Stein was for both of you is a gateway for kids to get into horror, mm. and I'm all for that. And I think this, I think the Fear Street trilogy sits very nicely next to films like Happy Death Day and Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, as. The you know these these cool gateway films for tweens and teens mm-hmm. to to get into the horror genre. Well, I've got to say these these three movies much gnarlier than those two. Um, <laughs> yeah. A sequence with a wrist in this, which was oh. pretty, yeah. <laughs> very yeah,
0: yeah. very visceral. <laughs>
1: there's a scene in a church which is oh. profoundly disturbing. Yeah.
0: yeah, really hard to watch. Amazingly that. awful.
1: <laughs> and I and I love that Janiac has the kind of because it's interesting that we've not really talked about Lee Janiac coming into this and, and she was um, she was a production assistant who worked her way up to uh, writing and directing an indie feature called honeymoon back in 2014, Um, which I remember being um, quite, you know, uh, like a a good debut, like quite creepy and a bit sort of unsettling was this um, sort of had this kind of decay about it, which was very, um, very uh, visceral. But then she went from there, and I think she directed some uh, episodic television, a couple episodes Mm. of Scream, an episode of Outcast, and then she kind of vanished for, well, you know, in terms of not having anything out for the next four years. And clearly what she's been working on is this. Mm. Um, And so she got signed up to do this, and she clearly loves horror. She clearly is, you know, as big a horror geek as you can get. Um, Mm. And... I like the fact that she's clearly made the gore and the the kill sequences, um, and a part of the event. Yeah, and she understands that about this kind of horror. It's like, no, these things have to be memorable, mm-hmm. and um, and yeah, I love the fact that she went there with this, and, and um, yeah, yeah, this is yeah, like so. It was really just that kind of yeah, just the feel, and and it just felt, I think, too that. Although I, I did mention earlier that, that there is a little bit of a buffy feel feel now and then. I feel like mm. the sixteen sixty-six section felt the most television out of all this.
0: Mm-hmm. And and like
1: the whereas ninety-four stuff felt more and even seventy-eight felt more cinematic. Um but that was just me. It just didn't, yeah. It just didn't really work on I me. Think, but it worked gangbusters for you two.
0: Well, <laughs> with the sixteen sixty six part, I think there was a lot of there was a lot of point of view shots and and handheld camera. I think it was sort of it it sort of put you in the position of the characters a lot more than the other than the other segments. And so rather than, I mean, I guess I just I just um, put myself in that position rather than because obviously there were a lot of things that weren't great about it, but just as a character um, and and I guess as a plot, as, you know, a way to reveal things that, you know, that were, that's well, the original story. And, mm. um, and so I guess like just as a plot device and um, rather than it being great execution-wise, I guess. So I can completely understand where you're coming from, Paul. <laughs> um,
2: yeah, and I, I saw a great... Um, a point that Sadie Sink made. was doing like a behind the scenes um, YouTube video about all the Easter eggs. You might not have noticed. <laughs> <laughs> and she said that the new world um the 2005 terence Malick film was a reference for the 1666 portion interesting um what you're mm. saying uh, mel about the point of view shots it makes a lot of sense you know just really getting in there and like feeling mm. the part of this settlement and especially apparently um yeah jenny ack was um wanted to reference the idea of you know this good new thing turning rotten um mm. you know having this evil influence um so yeah like hearing that i was like okay yeah i really appreciate what what she was trying to do there
1: yeah it it definitely feels i think and that's the thing i i don't i think it's easy to look at this from afar and kind of dismiss it all as empty homage and i i don't feel like it's that at all i think like like i don't think it's particularly profound either but i do think there's there's been real care and detail put into this thing and and i think the whole sort of the whole you know Shady, uh, shady, um, shady side and su- sunny vale kind of legend is a very kind yeah. of you know, very simple, very Stein, RL Stein kind of mm-hmm. conceit, but I think it's no less um, applicable and and no less relatable, and um, yeah, and I think it definitely gets that apro- across um, with varying degrees of kind of subtlety, but um, but yeah, no, I I, I I really like this as an experiment and. Yeah. You know, the I, I think this sort of thing might take off in terms of mm. you know releasing a trilogy of films within a week of each, you know, it's a it's a big commitment to kind of do that a, a, as one work. And this clearly wasn't knocked out for nothing either. Like they've yeah. clearly spent a lot of money on it. Yeah. And and such an interesting um way to kind of um release them. And and how did you two find just quickly, I guess, because we're almost out of time, but watching them week by week, how do you think that differed to
2: Oh, well, I like having that anticipation. And I think, you know, so many things now are released as like limited series and it was refreshing to have films to look forward to. Like, I feel like that's a really rare treat Mm. Um, and that they didn't try to put it in, you know, squash it into the format of a limited series, which doesn't always work these days, but that's what everyone's doing. So I, I loved having that to look forward to on a Friday night and especially a genre thing. Like for me, you know, as someone who, as I've said, doesn't dip into kind of horror as much, um, yeah, I was I was surprised by how much I anticipated and how much I just, you know, <laughs> got a thrill from all of them. So, yeah. What did you think, Mel, about that?
0: Yeah, I thought it was a really smart way to do it, especially, I mean, you know, you wouldn't have known that we were going to be in lockdown and whatnot, but <laughs> yeah. it was kind of the perfect things for us to be able to do during lockdown. And um, yeah, I thought it was really smart because it would sort of get to, you'd get to the end and it'd be to be continued and you'd get a little bit of the next one. And I was ready to watch the next one. Like every, every time I was like, ah, yes. give." And so, and with, you know, so many little Easter eggs and things in it, you didn't want to have to wait any longer than a week because then you'd have, you definitely have to rewatch the one before yes, again. Yes. So, yeah, I think it was really perfect. So I think, and yeah, I think, I think it will become, it'll definitely be done again, I think.
1: Yeah. yeah it's a smart move. Mm. Um, yeah, well, that was Fear Street Part Three and the uh, 1666, and indeed the entire Fear Street trilogy is now streaming on Netflix. You're listening to Primal Screen on RRR. Triple R. Triple R. You've been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Tiana Stefanik, Melissa Begg, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. We reviewed parts one, two, and three of the Fear Street trilogy, which are available to stream on Netflix. You can listen back to the show within half an hour on Triple R On Demand or check out the songs we played on the Primal Screen page at rrr.org.au right now. You can also subscribe to the Primal Screen podcast via iTunes or wherever else you find your favourite podcasts. Next week, well, remember what I said up top about a week-to-week proposition in the time of COVID? That's what this is here. We might be doing new releases. We might be doing a retrospective. Who knows? Only the Victorian government will decide. Stalk Primal Screen's social media outlets on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter this weekend for updates. Uh, Tiana and Mel, thank you so much for joining me.
0: Thank you for having
2: us. Yes, thanks for having us. It was really fun.
1: Awesome. It's been a ball. (laughs) Huge thank you to Morty Osborne for editing the Primal Screen podcast, Carl Chapman for panelling the show and providing producing assistance to our show.
0: Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R.